This is Quintus Curtius, and welcome back to the Fortress of the Mind podcast. And in this podcast, we will be taking up a question that I received in an email a few days ago from an interested reader and listener, which I thought was a very good question and that I think merits some serious discussion. So let's go to his question and read that off here. All right. He says in his question, if I can read it, he says, Dear Quintus, you have mentioned a couple of times how the previous two generations of American men dropped the ball and let the future generations down. I feel the same way, but I can't quite put my finger on it exactly how that happened and what we can do for our future generations. I would appreciate your delving into this matter further and offer any thoughts you might be able to come up with. Thanks. All right. Well, that's a good question, and it's a subject that I think is near and dear to my heart. I've talked about it directly and indirectly on several different occasions, so let me try to offer first, before we can get into the specifics about that, because that is a complicated question. It leads us to issues about what caused the decline of American culture, what caused the corruption of the culture, the forces that came to bear which put us where we are today. Let's first paint some broad strokes on the canvas. Let's go back to 1945, after the close of the Second World War. Throughout the late 1940s, 50s, 60s, the U.S. was, by general consensus, the most powerful country in the world. It produced a vast amount of economic output. It exceeded all of its rivals, in every measure that mattered, military, economic, cultural. And then all of a sudden things started to change gradually. All of a sudden we had a perceptible, slow, uh, measured decline. And since the processes of decay in history are very difficult really to pinpoint when they started exactly, we can try to put some milestones on the road to give us a a sense of measure. I think it's beyond question that the Vietnam War and the social chaos of the 60s and the hedonism of the 1970s and 80s did a great deal to weaken the moral fiber of the people in the United States. And this is a, a law that's as old as history. When nations become wealthy, when they become powerful, when they become rich, certain things happen. Certain things happen unavoidably. The first thing is that wealth naturally becomes concentrated more and more in the hands of the few. And some people think, oh, well, what does it matter? What, what difference does that make? Who cares? Well, it matters a great deal. It's extremely dangerous. Because what happens then is that all of the resources of society become concentrated in the hands of fewer and fewer. And the vast majority who are going to be condemned just by nature or circumstance to live out their lives marginalized, either through lack of access to the corridors of power or lack of ability to make use of the, to make use of the corridors of power. And you're going to have a, a population of developing, alienated people. And this is not good. This is not good at all. And the privileged few are going to be able to control more and more of the political and economic levers 
And when they do, inevitably, they're going to use those levers to engineer results that favor them and not the majority. And unless you have good leadership that steps in and corrects that, then you're going to have a situation that eventually will lead to factionalism and, in extreme cases, a civil unrest and even revolution. So this is why that's a dangerous trend, that first of all. Maybe even more profoundly, long periods of wealth and ease tend to corrupt the moral fiber of both men and women. And when you think about it, that's an unavoidable conclusion. How many people do you know that really have ever gone a day without food, that really know what real, like, third-world hardship is? Not many. The United States has always been a country of uh, privileged geographic position. It doesn't really have any military threats of any significance on its borders. Uh, up to the north, we have Canada. Up to the south, we have Mexico. And Mexico has not really ever been a military threat in the sense that it can project power. Uh, I'm not talking about migrants or refugees or, or immigration. That is not that is not military force. That's not a military threat. That may be a different issue, but that's certainly not a military threat. And hardship produces character. Hardship builds character. And the last generation, I think, that really knew what struggle was, what suffering was, was that generation that grew up during the Depression and knew what it was to survive on one meat pie a day, that knew what it was to go without, and that valued things. You know, people today in many ways have it too easy. You know, we can talk about this and that, but at the end of the day, there's nobody out there that's starving yet. Not yet, anyway. So, when these long periods of wealth and ease happen, people become alienated and divorced from the moral code that really gave their lives some sort of fiber. They don't see the need for discipline. They don't see the need for moral duties. They don't see the, the pressing need for responsibilities. It becomes much more attractive to live a life of frivolity and excess. And that's possible, or historically that's been possible in the United States for the past maybe 30, 40 years. It may be changing a little bit, but maybe not fast enough. So that's what we've seen in the United States. We've seen a process of, of, um, of increasing inequality. You've seen, at the same time, a spread of, of education and, and learning. And frankly, the more, the more educated and the more learned, I think, people become, in many ways, the more or the less resonance the old moral code really has for them. They, see, they don't really see the utility in it. They feel the need to question everything. And they begin to think, well, you know, all of those... All of those uh, allegories that you find in mythology and religion, uh, you know, why do I need those? Those don't matter to me. Those mean nothing. It becomes harder and harder to rear the young when they're bombarded with messages from the media which condition everyone to be a consumer above all else. You must buy. The family doesn't matter. Human relations don't matter. History doesn't matter. Values don't matter. Nothing matters except 
to plug that jack into your iPhone and to keep buying the latest gadgets of the day and to keep yourself plugged into the internet so that you can become the perfect consumer. And this is the prescription that they have in mind. Whether conscious or unconscious, the end result is still the same. You know, we can debate about whether was it deliberate, was it not deliberate. It doesn't matter. At the end of the day, the, the same result is produced, and that is corruption. At the same time, you have the blurring of traditional gender roles, which also plays into this. You've got men becoming more and more like women, women becoming more and more like men. Masculinity is shamed and marginalized. There's no draft so that the value and the utility of the martial virtues, which have always been one of the underpinnings of masculine virtus, as we would say in Latin, or masculine virtue. So you have a gradual process of decay going on. And sometimes it's held in check, and other times it just accelerates. And that really is the I think the, the, the corruption of the, the national moral fiber has been the most serious thing. You know, like I said, I, and I've written an article recently about why we should try to bring the draft back, if only for moral reasons, just to get people out there, get them out there working, get them doing doing something, let them know that they're part of a group, that they can't just be self-centered little princes and princesses. Because when that happens, nothing ever gets done. Nothing ever gets done. And the corruption continues to to um, to proceed. Now that that process of decay can be accelerated with bad leadership, and I think it's pretty much clear we haven't had chief executives in the past twenty years that have been worth a shit. Uh, they've been do nothings, like uh, the Clinton administration was, or inept like the the, the Bush two was. Um, so what what you what you see happen is you see a, a failure of leadership to respond to the challenges, and the process of decay can take on an accelerated uh, trajectory when bad leadership is mixed with the corruption of the moral of the moral fiber of the nation, and few can doubt that our response to the terrorist attacks of nine eleven in two thousand one in many ways accelerated this process of, of, of decay and corruption, at least, at least as I see it. You have now a, a, a debt spiral that the country has entered into. You've got uh, a, the, the, the complete, in many ways, the complete dismantling of the manufacturing base and having had it sent abroad. You've got students drowning in debt. Now, I don't want to continue to parade a, a list of horribles here because it doesn't do us any good to get all depressed about this. Um, but those are the reasons why I think that um, the previous generations sold us out. Because someone was in charge. It wasn't us. It sure as hell wasn't us. I mean, I'm 47 years old. I know that I, I wasn't in charge. Uh, you know, If you want to know who's responsible, look to see who was in charge. Who has been in charge over the past 30 years? That generation. The people who are now in their 70s, 60s, 70s and older, they're the ones responsible. They should have done something. They should have seen this happen. Uh, they should have seen the warning signs. It was their job to be the stewards of the national interest. It was their job to protect the young, to protect the generations of men and women from corrupting influences. And they failed. 
they failed miserably to do that in every way, in every single way that matters. They thought it more important to line their pockets, to plunder the resources that were there, and they couldn't care less. And that's why if there ever is a day of reckoning for all this, they're the ones that need to be held to account. They're the ones that need to be uh, made to answer for what they did. And there's no other way around it. There's no, other, there's no other conclusion that can be drawn. Now, you might say, well, is this a, a depressing picture or not? Well, not quite. We can reassure ourselves by remembering the fact that nations decay at a quite leisurely pace. I mean, for example, if we look at Rome, some nations have not even survived as long as it took for Rome to decline and, and fall. And even then, is it really dead? I mean, civilizations change their contexts, their times and place, but is ancient Greece really dead? Uh, you know, Homer now has more readers than he did in his heyday. Cicero now has more readers than he ever did in his heyday. I mean, I myself, you know, he got... Cicero got one guy, me, to spend a year and a half or, or more of his life uh, slaving away at a, a translation at, at, at one of his works. I mean, for someone of that era to command the attention and the devotion of someone 2,000 years in the future like me, that says something. That says that the hold that these great things exert over future generations can be very, very powerful. So it takes a long time for civilizations to decay. It takes a long time for cultures really to decay, or at least historically it has. Maybe now with the advent of modern technology and the speed of communications, maybe things go by faster than they have in the past. We don't know exactly. We don't know. And let me also say that hope is not lost, is not lost because good leadership can always turn things around, always turn things around. A nation can arrest its decline and can restore its moral fiber by responding to a, a great challenge. Uh, like, for example, how the United States uh, responded to the, to the challenge of the Second World War, rose to the challenge, emerged stronger from it. Uh, whereas, unfortunately, there were other countries, the European countries, even though they were the victors, they were so exhausted they were effectually ruined by their victories. So good leadership and good stewardship can always matter, can always do positive good. The question is, is getting the right people in the right position, in the right jobs. And what really concerns me is that the political system now in the United States is so gridlocked and it's so factionalized, it's so polarized, and you have one tiny click controlling everything. I mean, something is seriously wrong when you've got... Uh, you know, you, and you can read. Don't just take my word for it. You can read the statistics. When you've got, say, a hundred people, literally a hundred people, uh, the the hundred richest people controlling essentially like eighty per, eighty or ninety percent of the wealth, and everyone else is kind of left to fend for themselves. Something is seriously wrong when that happens, and it's profoundly destabilizing. And I've written about this before. Nations that respond to the challenge of reform can correct themselves and fix themselves like Solon, the, the Athenian um, the Athenian leader Solon who was Archon of Athens um, 
I forget the exact era. I think it was in the 700, 700 BC uh, era, I think 750 BC, somewhere around there. Uh, he was able to redistribute the land and the wealth of the, uh, the city-state in such a way that it prevented revolution from happening and provided a way to arrest the decline. But that challenge has not been met in other societies. You know, for example, Rome was unable to do that. Land reform and reform of the laws was forced, uh, was forcibly opposed by the wealthy classes, by the oligarchs, by the plutocrats, and you had generations of civil war that ended up with an empire. So these are the things that matter, and uh, there, there's a lot to be concerned about. You know, and, and as I look at the, politi the political system now in America, it's deeply troubling the fact that you now have you know, corporations that can be treated like individuals. There's no limits on campaign contributions, which means that essentially politicians can be bought and sold literally bought and sold. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's something that was never contemplated by or intended by the founding fathers. It's, it's a complete travesty of the democratic process. And it's the best clue that something is seriously wrong. And if it's not taken care of, we're going to see big, big trouble because there's only so many years that this, this type of situation can persist before serious trouble starts to happen. You know, we need to be mindful of what history teaches us. And what I want to do now is read a passage from Thucydides, which everyone should have in their library. You should all have, of the ancient Greek historians, you should at least have Herodotus and Thucydides in your library. And others, many others too, but I don't want to get into that right now. But there's a passage in Thucydides that's very applicable here. And this is uh, Book 3 of his history, Book 3, Sections 69 to 85. And this is the the, uh, the section where he talks about the Civil War in uh, Corsura, which was, um, which was an event during the Peloponnesian War. And let me just read this to you, and you can decide what you want to take away from it and see how applicable this is to current situations. He talks about, well, just to... to to put the context out there, Thucydides is talking about the political and social conditions that existed at the time of the events that he's describing. That's the civil war, civil war in Corsura. He says, The revolutionists were determined to outdo the report of all who had preceded them by the ingenuity of their enterprises and the activity of their revenges. The meaning of words had no longer the same relation to things but was changed by them as they thought proper. Reckless daring was held to be loyal courage. Prudent delay was the excuse of a coward. Moderation was the disguise of unmanly weakness. And to know everything was to do nothing. Frantic energy was the true quality of a man. The lover of violence was always trusted and his opponent suspected. It was danger dangerous to be quiet and neutral. The citizens who were of neither party fell a prey to both. Either they were disliked because they held aloof, or men were jealous of their surviving. The laws of heaven as well as of civilized societies were set aside without scruple amidst 
the impatience of party spirit, the zeal of contention, the eagerness of ambition, and the cravings of revenge. And this type of ethic, I think, really describes, in many ways, what happens when a society becomes destabilized and when self-interest, greed, ambition are elevated above everything else. You have a situation which I think in many ways is analogous to today, where stupidity, ignorance, and bombast are considered to be virtue, are considered to be, wis- are considered to be wise, and big-mouthed braggarts lord it over others, and everyone praises them for their bombast, but behind it there's nothing. And you just have an inability to recognize the true meaning of what is character, what is a good man, what is an insubstantial man, and what is a substantial man. And these are the types of things that happen when men forget how to train and discipline themselves to have good character. And this, I think, is one of the evils of the age, is the fact that the educational system has totally failed, completely failed, utterly failed, to instill in our young men and also our young women a sense of character and responsibility. There's been too much of a focus on individualism and not enough focus on the collective spirit, which is everyone's responsibility. Or at least that's how I see it. I'll be talking a little bit more about this probably in my next podcast when I talk about the release of On Duties and its relevance to the conditions of today. So that will conclude our podcast today. This is the Fortress of the Mind. And this podcast was brought to you courtesy of Fortress of the Mind Productions. I'm Quintus Curtius. Good night.